Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Filling the Void with Josie. I'm your host, Josie, and I'm happy to have you in my corner of the world for a little while. This season, we're discussing all things fear. That dreaded beast has become so prevalent in everything we do or don't do. Let's look into how that has shaped the experience of my guests while they were navigating university, and even more so, how they face their fears post-grad, whether it materializes through doubts, insecurities, bad self-talk, you name it. You're not alone. And if we're all experiencing it in some capacity, why not talk about it? Before I continue, however, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. You tuning in each week or binging it all at once. (laughs) Basically, you consuming my content supports the podcast and encourages me. Please go follow the Instagram page at fillingthevoidpod and tap into the conversations we're having there. If you haven't already, help others find the podcast by rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you get your fix. Don't forget, each week this season, I'm gifting a lucky listener who sends me a screenshot of their submitted review with a gift card as a token of appreciation for supporting my podcast. So when you leave a rating and review, take a picture of it and DM it to me at fillinthevoidpod on Instagram. If you're not on Instagram, you can email it to fillinthevoidwjosiepod at gmail.com. Good luck. Let's get into the episode. Today's guest is a founding board member of the Axion Network of Canada. Dwight Best has been building culturally intelligent teams of African-Canadian student and young professional leaders as a social entrepreneur for over 16 years. His undergraduate studies in political science and modern Chinese language and culture at Concordia University and Université de Montréal formed the background to, if not the source of, his passion for leadership development and economic empowerment throughout the African diaspora. Dwight's career also spans 10 years in the Canadian financial services and wealth management sectors, most notably as an investment advisor and consultant to fintech startups. Dwight leverages his broad expertise in finance, technology, and social capital formation to help organizations meet rising environmental, social, and governance challenges. Let's get into who Mr. Dwight Best is. Okay, so I'm here back again. Another episode. I'm so excited. I'm always excited to introduce y'all to my guests because I think they're pretty dope. And you will find out shortly why I think that. So this new guest, can I say that? I guess it's new. I guess you're new. Yeah, you're new. This next guest, that's what I'm looking for. This next guest that I have, his name is Dwight Best. I met Dwight in uni. Dwight is the person to know when it comes to all of these cultural clubs because he knows what's going on. He knows where the parties are happening. He knows what's up, what's down. So Dwight, welcome to Fill in the Void with Josie podcast. I'm so happy to have you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Josie. It's, it's really my pleasure. And uh, I can't promise that I know where all the parties are at because... <laughs> especially we're in a COVID time, there's just <laughs> probably some parties that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. are on the DL. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know about the unofficial ones, but yes, I do my best to hook people up when, where, where possible. That is true. You bring up a very important point. I have to remember that we met pre-Rona and that was honestly a completely different lifetime at this point. <laughs> it feels like it, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It was um, like a dream. 
Yeah. It feels a, a, a dream groundhog day that, you know, a dream that we have not woken up from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, well, this feels like a dream, but like pre prior to COVID feels al- almost like a dream as well. Mm, yeah, right. But. Yeah. I can, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. But Dwight, you know what? Let the people know who you are because I've had the privilege of getting to know you a little bit, but let them know what you've been up to, what you do, who you are, read your receipts. Let's, let's give you your flowers, man. Oh, wow. Flowers. I didn't know about flowers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> receipts. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm I'm Dwight. Uh, yes, Dwight Best. That that is my real name. Um, I didn't I didn't choose it, but you know, I like to say it's you know it's working out well for me so far. So I think I'm going to stick with it. But uh, yeah, I'm basically a uh, right now I'm a social entrepreneur. Uh, actually, I've been a social entrepreneur for 16 years. And oh, you were an entrepreneur before being an entrepreneur was popular. Well, I, I would say a social entrepreneur before, social being, entrepreneur. you know, yeah, yeah, before that, of course, well before that was popular. And I mean, that's, that's a whole different story about like what it means to do things when they're not popular, because mm-hmm. you believe, you know, it's, it's the, the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's something that I, I think is kind of maybe <laughs> it's, it's a double-edged sword, you know, uh, uh, but it, it's definitely part of the theme, I guess, uh, for for just my my journey uh, so far through uh, education. But basically, um, I started at Concordia. Uh, in wait, 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 hold on. We're gonna get into all that. We're gonna get into all that. Okay, um, all right. You, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> before you jump into your story, I actually have an icebreaker that I want to ask you. And it's just one question, just one mm-hmm. simple, small, small question. Okay, you ready? Sure. Of course. Okay, that's what they all say. And then they start looking at me like, why did you do that? Okay, <laughs> so Dwight, as you know, the theme for this season is fear. We're really talking about all things fear and how more often than we'd like, <laughs> we really let that pesky little thing dictate our lives and our decisions in small ways and in big ways so my question for you is what was the last thing that scared you the last thing that really scared me mm-hmm. like scared it's probably like a centipede what? that just like darted out from nowhere <laughs> <laughs> they'll that they'll get you listen <laughs> yeah oh my gosh those things uh you know i don't know i don't know what it is about like just bugs being inside but like when i see them outside it's like oh yeah whatever but inside it's like i don't know it's completely different it's like it's 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 uh it yeah, territorial <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's yeah it's a little bit terrifying uh when it's in in your territory but no yeah that that was literally the last thing i could think of that like really like i like startled or, or scared me yeah i read something somewhere recently that said the longest I think the insect with the most amount of legs was it like over a hundred or something has recently been like found in Australia which mm. no surprise Australia is the I know it's always getting oh we found this newest egregious looking creature <laughs> here yeah <laughs> and people still choose to live here <laughs> yeah. yeah but no shade to Australia Australians it's listen everybody wants to go there for a reason but I don't know what's going on down there what sort of um it's summer over there and they're re- reducing their COVID restrictions right about now so 
Ooh, they probably shouldn't do that. Omarion does not care. <laughs> Omarion. <laughs> <laughs> At all. Okay, listen, those creepy callers get the best of us, so that's completely understandable. That's great. Okay, let's take mm. a quick break. Okay, great. So we're back, and we're going to jump into the hefty portion <laughs> of, mm-hmm. the, of this interview, this conversation, really, um, because I'm so curious, Dwight. From what I know, your journey has not been linear at all, which is probably so similar to like so many people out there. And so that's why I'm, I am looking forward to kind of just hearing from your perspective what it's been like for you to like navigate university, but also what life has been like post-grad and how you have dealt with, you know, your doubt and insecurities as they pop up, those intrusive thoughts that make you want to like (laughs) do things and you're just like, wait a minute, (laughs) where'd that come from? Um, So what's your education and what's your university story? Wow, that's, I mean, I I knew I was going to have to say something about this story, but uh, I would say I would, I would probably start like early. So yes, I did uh, go to Concordia. I did start uh, a program in 2005, but basically before that, um, I think it's, it's really important to note. And I think that most people like focusing on university, I mean, literally most people have had at least 12 years of education before getting to university right uh-huh, and uh-huh. that is extremely important like if that doesn't go well you're not getting to university right <laughs> so so I think I would actually start there you know with the 12 years and um, I would say that most of it actually 10 years I spent in I guess an alternative school you would call it which did not have grades oh yes. interesting yeah yeah so so that- y'all were y'all were what's the word oh my goodness not judged I'm trying to think of like evaluated yeah that's a word thank you on 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 what on uh (laughs) that's that's very and and that kind of that that is a big part of my uh sort of post-secondary experience was the fact that I was kind of coming in from that sort of background but then also like personally family-wise as well so yeah to answer like the evaluation question it was basically kind of like a huge checklist uh, for different class, uh, for for each class, and each class had a different sort of checklist. You know, like if it was music, it would be like, you know, tonality or uh, like an engagement, uh, or if it was English, it would be, you know, just uh, certain things related to creativity, if it were like a creative writing portion of the semester, and I think those were like twice a semester. Um, and then detailed comments. So basically, mm. when it was time for grading, the, the the teachers at that school were really, really stressed out. And we would see them stress out because uh, we had basically a computer lab and everybody did their work there. This was before our laptops were very, I guess, affordable. And, and Yeah, before uh, everyone had a personal computer. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. This is like the era of the, the Palm Pilot, let's say, you know, so uh, before... For my time, Dwight. <laughs> I know, I know it is. And it's important to mention, this is pre-iPhone days, right? So um, yeah, so everybody kind of did their work in like the same sort of computer lab. And sometimes we'd, often we'd find the teachers in there just furiously trying to type out their comments. And it's like literally like a couple paragraphs for each student, for each mm-hmm. class that they had. You know what so, that makes me think yeah. of? I, I feel as if this is very like pre-K 
form of evaluating. Like my, one of my nieces who is currently in daycare, this is how they evaluate. Cause you can't give grades in daycare. What's the point of that? These people don't <laughs> care. <laughs> it's just a two-year-old. She does not care. And so basically what they're looking for is they're trying to see, well, do you at least meet this? Are you able to, let's say, you know, throw and catch a ball in terms of hand-eye coordination, right? Mm. And are you able to, I don't know, (laughs) I forget everything else they wrote on that paper, but it's not, we're not looking to be like, oh, because of this, you're in like the fifth percentile or 95th percent would be terrible, actually, 95th percentile (laughs) um, of X, Y, and Z, but it's like, at this age, you should be doing this and you're doing that. So keep it up mm-hmm. or you're not doing that. And this is what we've noticed. So maybe keep an eye on that. Is it something like that? Uh, it kind of. And so the, the checklists were, um, I think, I think there were once or twice a semester. I think it was once like sort of like in like the middle of each semester. And then um they would have the detailed uh report like with you know the whole paragraphs and everything yeah. at the end of of the semester and yeah that you know that was the that, that was the the method and yeah they were they were very 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 hands-on so so the school uh it was actually you know I was born here in Canada and then at a very very young age basically as a baby I, I moved to uh, the states uh, so my family moved there and uh, I grew up in Brooklyn in New York and Brooklyn uh, yes Brooklyn okay Jay-Z yes. isn't that where he's from I think yes yes that's oh my gosh everybody talks about Jay-Z yes yes is that your cousin? <laughs> or okay if we're not talking about Jay-Z who's that like Nikki Onika isn't she also from there I think so Onika, I'm not sure I'm not, Maharaj, I'm not a rapper head I'm uh, yeah like I, I think there's so many people who are from Brooklyn. Like I, I've, I've lost count. Like yeah, there's there's just so many people. I think like I think Michael Jordan was born in Brooklyn. Mm. Um, you know, like there's there's just so many different people uh, who who yeah have called Brooklyn home. It's a very very special place. Um, you know, it's beautiful. But you know, the Brooklyn that I grew up in didn't change for a very long time, and mm-hmm. then boom, gentrification, and oh. it just. It was crazy like Swiper from Dora just comes like a thief in the night. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, more like you know an Ocean's Eleven thief in the night because it was planned for like decades, right? Oh my! But, yeah, yeah, like the property developers they 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 don't play like they do this on a generational cycle, right? So they 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 were planning you know for this, but um, you know eventually it ended up happening, and when it did, when it was visible to the general public, it was just like. Phew, but, you know, yeah, apart from that, um, yeah, that was basically how I sort of grew up. I would kind of go back and forth to Canada, like kind of spend the the summer vacations, you know, in Ottawa or Toronto. I think even once a couple of times in Montreal, uh, you know, where we have still have like family, um, mm-hmm. you know, like more in Ontario. And uh, I decided to come back here for school. But uh, why? Yeah. Uh, well, it was uh, we were always thinking of moving back but you know my parents like they were working there and you know it it ended up just being me that came back Mm. and and my parents were always like okay you have to do French I'd actually dropped out of my French class in the states in the states yeah was it really French class because I've taken some French classes in the states and that wasn't French (laughs) 
Ah uh, non, c'était vraiment uh, un cours en français. OK. Like, genre à 100%. Après, je pense, après la troisième année d'instruction, en fait, toutes les, les, tous les cours ont été donnés en français. Yeah. Okay, so this yeah. was role immersion. It wasn't just it was it was Oscar. but it was immersion just for the French class though, mm -hmm. right? So okay, okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, it was you know like it was, it was uh, English uh, that was the language of instruction for most of the classes, but uh, French, you know, in French, and then you know the the same thing for all the other languages that they had at the school, you know, like Spanish and mm -hmm. for I think like classics like latin and greek and stuff yeah yeah yeah. that's very typical like the the some of the schools that i went to in the states as well was was like that like they offer the second languages um mm -hmm. but your experience was very different from mine because like mine was mm. <laughs> anyways we're not here to talk about me so you ended up coming to coming back to canada yourself but where exactly like was this montreal or was this like ottawa toronto by yourself Yeah, so actually, uh, yeah, it was, it was just me uh, by myself. Actually, I'd uh, like gone to Ottawa thinking that I was, you know, gonna go uh, back there um, and and study there. And then, you know, I uh, ended up going to, to Montreal because uh, my, uh, so actually I, I like went to a bunch of places. I went to Quebec, then I went to Ottawa, then I went to, to Montreal. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, the idea was really to uh, develop my French and, you know, my parents really, really, really put the emphasis on being bilingual. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, I, I spoke uh, Creole, so my family's from St. Lucia mm -hmm. and, you know, in the... Oh, they speak Creole in St. Lucia? Yes, we do. Yeah, we speak wow. Creole. Yeah. I mean, they call it Patois sometimes, but it's, it's really Creole. Mm -hmm. And it's not the same Creole as Haitian Creole. Uh, the Haitian Creole. No, it's not. But it's very similar. But it's there's enough there are enough differences, you know, where, you know, it's if, if Haitians speak very quickly, like for me to like pick up on it, it's it's like I have to like think, oh, wait, oh, that's what they were saying, you know, mm -hmm. what's But, your base? Uh, yeah. What's the base for y'all's Creole? It's it is it is uh, French. And, you know, they say there are some like Carib. I guess, uh, words in there, but, um, from my research and just like, and, and it's not studied a lot. So basically our Creole is similar to the Creole of the Zouk songs, right? Like, because we're right next to Martinique. So the Creole de, uh, de Zouk, that's pretty much the Creole that we speak with a few loan words. So when okay. we don't have a word in Creole, we'll take usually from English Whereas in Martinique, which is literally, like, we can see Martinique from St. Lucia. It's like, it's like, I think, 20 kilometers by sea. <laughs> like, you oh, would look across, so you could see it. My goodness. Yeah, it's really beautiful. But they put more French words in mm -hmm. their crayon when they are missing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we put more English. But because okay, it's so okay. close, it's basically the same. Okay. So your, your parents are, like, adamant that you've got to be bilingual because you, re you recognize the benefit of it. So you're kind of going from... French city to French city to French city, but then you end up settling. How do you, how do you come to the decision of like where you end up going? Yeah, well, Montreal, I mean, it was, it was really the language. So actually I went to, I didn't go to Concordia first. I went to Université de Montréal. Mm. Uh, I did a year there and then I decided to switch everything. I decided to switch programs. I decided to switch universities, uh, I guess languages as well. Well, um, what happened so... to it? What happened at UDM? 
to for you to like that led you to make this decision or was it did it have nothing to do with your damn and it's just like where you were at that point in your life it was it was both it was really both and uh basically like I mean I, I did do grade 12 mm-hmm. you know in the states I mean like that's that's kind of normal for yeah. everywhere else right uh outside of Quebec and which was a and, shock for me and I will never get over it but anyway <laughs> you learn yeah like I I probably should have done CJF mm. you know instead of going to university and doing that extra 30 credits you know what um, my brother says the same thing so I have one brother yeah. who also he came here at like university age mm-hmm. and yeah, he had finished high school and everything and he went straight to Concordia. Mm-hmm. It, didn't, oh, wow. it didn't go too well. I actually interviewed yeah. him. He he's like, I think he's on he talks about it in season one. Uh, oh wow, okay. Yeah, because I think it's called All That All That Glitters Isn't Gold, something like that. Oh yeah, I should um, go back and listen to it. Cause yeah, I think I saw your brother was in one of the episodes there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he relates a lot to what. <laughs> to that first experience of yours but yeah yeah so you you go you're going to university and then you start realizing oh no what have I done oh no what have I done but I mean one thing just to answer your question more specifically like for University of Montreal the main thing that I had there because I was so this goes back to like the whole like what do your parents want you to do and my parents are, like my dad is actually an educator he the whole reason why he left San Lucia in the first place was like he was a teacher down there and then he came up to North America to like the states to do his PhD mm. um, he didn't actually finish it mm. but but you know that's like a whole nother story so that kind of colored like even my experience because like growing up as like the child of an educator like the school that I even ended up going to is kind of the result of the fact that like I wasn't I didn't really like fit in the box because basically I was getting homeschooled mm. at a level that was like way ahead of what I was supposed to be doing for my age range mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um yeah so basically uh like when I got to University of Montreal really I didn't I was supposed to be a doctor I, I was in pre-med you know my parents were like I, specifically my mom was like okay you're gonna be a doctor right gonna be a doctor right you're gonna be a doctor right yes ma'am yeah, isn't it a doctor? <laughs> yeah and then she introduced me to all of her like uh, physician friends and she actually worked in a hospital as an administrator not as a doctor but I was already kind of like immersed in that world just through her and that was kind of the track that I was on and I didn't really think about it like I really what what I was most interested in was actually engineering mm. and I ended up just doing a pre-med thing just you know because that's what my parents wanted to satisfy the parents yep and I'd like moved around like just trying to figure out like what I was going to do and you know they were like okay when are you going to finish are you going to do pre-med okay you're going to invest in Montreal go do your pre-med classes and everything and you know like I wasn't going to be you know a doctor you know even if I was getting like A's in bio like in chemistry I was getting like you know, like D's and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yep. I was like, the reality not- check of that first semester or the first year even of like, wait a minute. I thought yeah. I was smart. I thought I was intelligent. <laughs> what is happening? This is not what I don't get grades like this. And it's like, no, you there gotta you go. put in way more effort. Or maybe, maybe that program just isn't for you. And that's fine. There you go. And that's that was exactly, you know, what was what what was my issue. So just trying to like figure out like what was the program for me. I found myself just being a lot more interested in politics, 
Um, so I was like, okay, hey, you know, poli sci, let me do poli sci. And then, you know, the environment that invested Mohyam in terms of student life uh, was very different for people who were from what they call like ethno-cultural backgrounds. Uh, it was very, very different. It was like, I just did not feel at home at all, mm-hmm. at all. I mean, you know, some people might chalk that up to me being like a kid from Brooklyn, like coming to study in French, like, because I wasn't the only one. Like there were people who uh, had gone to like Sijep and everything, and they were also also people of African descent, you know, also like people who were like Algerians and Moroccans, and they'd studied in French their whole lives, and they would get to Université de Montréal, and they realized like they're feeling alienated from the majority of students who were like Québécois, mm-hmm. like descendants française. Um, so like that, I just wasn't feeling that at all. And like I would literally go to student uh, group events at McGill. And people would think I was a McGill student. Hey, <laughs> yeah, just the time. Like, I was there all the time, yep. you know, but also like I just kind of like fit in. So I, I kind of found, yeah. you know, my people. And that this Cambodia is no shade to McGill, but maybe all so, the shade. This is my first time I've ever heard anybody say they went to McGill and they felt like they fit in. Really? Okay. Wow. Maybe I just need to speak to more people from McGill. Well, but that it's was usually maybe- like, <laughs> I would no, say it's because it's because where I was coming from, like from so comparatively mm. compared to Université de Montréal, I fit in at McGill, right. right? But then when I ended up going to Concordia, I felt I felt like I was completely at home at Concordia. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that sounds more like it. I'm not yeah. biased at all. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, yeah, I you know I I think you know as a Concordian, of course, you know. And I've seen you in, in some uh, some interesting uh, promotional videos as well. So <laughs> we don't talk about those. <laughs> <laughs> but but Concordia was really just like a microcosm of I think Montreal. It was like like I felt like I reached like the soul of of, of Montreal because there were a lot of francophones at Concordia as well. Mm. But it just was like way more multicultural, way more accepting. It was just so amazing so i really don't just kind of fell in love don't let with the that CU environment promotional team hear this i'm gonna take this <laughs> clip and be like come to concordia <laughs> well that's you know maybe for a little bit later in the story but you know maybe I'll, I'll kind of wrap it up but basically i switched from like school to school to school um you know i switched programs i went into poli sci um i did not finish the poli sci program i actually ended up working because I had a lot of challenges uh, financially actually so um, you know that's that's that was kind of like the biggest thing that uh, really I think affected me in school was just like not having a way to to pay for school and then realizing okay like the whole full-time student thing that was plan A and I didn't have a plan B Mm. at all you know and 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 this entire time you're still alone like your family, I guess your new oh, yeah. family is still in the States. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're in the States. Yeah. And I couldn't actually afford to go back to school in the States because it's just way more expensive than the States. Well, we all know why. Yeah. And listen, yeah. <laughs> now people are talking about Joe Byron. You're not holding, you're not holding to your promises that you made, but that's that's not, yeah. that's, not the, that's a conversation for another day. But we all know why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I mean. 
it's it's really sad like you know how the state of education over there but you know it was it was it was really 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 tough so i ended up uh basically dropping out and getting a job and i was like okay let me you know do what i'm i'm good at which is computer stuff and basically i got a tech support job <laughs> and then you know i was like okay you know let me try you know come back to school do it part time and then i got a job working in in the bank and i was like okay this is really cool and then i ended up getting uh promoted and then i got you know other jobs and ended up thinking that you know what instead of me just doing this whole policy thing which mm-hmm. who knows where that's going to go let mm-hmm. me actually uh just see how far i can go in this world of finance so basically i did 10 years in uh in finance and i did a lot of uh, professional certifications in investment management and um you know that's that really opened my eyes to a lot of things right so, another world yeah yeah but as you're going through this i just want to backtrack a little bit because mm-hmm. You mentioned how financial instability, I guess I would say, which mm-hmm. is a huge reality for so many um students, families, people in general, and it's not it's tough. It's mm-hmm. really tough. What was going through your head as you were trying to like navigate that, trying to be like, you know, you had this goal, like you said, you had no safety net, no plan B, and your big dream, your main goal was literally slipping from your hands. What was going well, to head at that time? Well, that's that's a whole, you know, thing cuz I think just kind of like talking about like all the twists and turns in my story is not even, you know, educationally is maybe not even the most uh I guess salient thing, you know, for your audience and and I would say like really for me um I mean there was a time when like I got home and I couldn't open the door to where I lived because they changed the locks. Mm. and like i was like literally like this close to being homeless right and um or maybe temp- technically i was homeless but then <laughs> but it was just that day and it just so happened that that very day i had gotten a new job mm. um and uh oh wait, no sorry not that very day like i'd gotten the job but that very day like i think i'd gotten the first paycheck from the job okay okay and um Uh, it came right on time because listen yeah yeah and and i and i told the the landlady and i wasn't even it wasn't even like my whole apartment it was like a room in in a in a duplex that i was renting dang and they changed that sounds the, like toronto life yo and seriously that sounds like new york life actually basically basically <laughs> yeah so like my whole safety net was 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 not there and um you know it was it was a tough time you know for for my parents as well like economically and um yeah like that 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 basically just made me have to be a lot more adaptable so like and and I actually did have loans at that point so i had student mm-hmm. loans i didn't have to pay them thank god mm-hmm. i didn't have to pay them at that point but i actually had taken loans to start a bunch of programs which i didn't finish <laughs> and then i was still broke <laughs> and i still hadn't paid the loans mm-hmm. and i still hadn't uh you know uh ended up working in the field that i had expected mm-hmm. um so it was yes yeah, it's vraiment like it was a really, recipe really for disaster but you you're yeah. not the only one mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So it was, yeah, just, you know, one disaster after the next, but then once you, once you kind of get used to those disasters, you're like, okay, well, you know, like I'm still privileged. Like I'm still able-bodied. Je suis bilingue à 100%. Like if I have to work, I can't, right? Like I am Canadian. I, that is a blessing in and of itself. Mm -hmm. right like i don't have to deal with what international students have to deal with which is like a whole nother thing um yeah sometimes they can't even work i don't know how they do it well i mean they usually either they don't like i mean either they have the means from home and the government makes very very uh you know they they make sure of uh the people that they let in to to study right they 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 can they can actually can pay i need to have a whole season with just international students because i'm sure they got a lot to say um, yeah, yeah, and especially about trying to find work after after finishing. But yeah, um, it's really unfortunate. And and actually, well, oh, well, I guess you have your question. So, so go ahead because I, I have a lot to say about that and how my experience I think is sort of relevant to that. But yeah. no, I was just I was just gonna I was gonna let you finish that particular story of how you were like. So you ended up being in finance for ten years. Yeah, um, are you in yeah. finance now? So uh, I'm not in finance full-time right now, no. So, um, so one thing that I, I did after feeling so alienated at University of Montreal and then literally just trying to find, you know, my tribe, so to speak, you know, trying to find my people yeah. uh, and going to McGill and going to Concordia and then finding all these people, basically I realized that I wasn't the only one and that mm. a lot of different groups existed back in the days pre-Facebook. Uh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. What well, a life. Instagram for sure. Yeah. What yeah. a life. What was life like back then? Anyways, that's not the point. So yes. It was great, actually. <laughs> it was great. Oh my gosh. It was better. How it did was people definitely better? How did like people hang hang out? How did you know what was going on? The flyers? Flyers Email. Email, Email. And flyers. My yeah. goodness. Email oh. and flyers, yo. Like seriously, that's what we did. And um, bring it back it, bring it all back <laughs> yeah and it was it was actually um it, it it was actually better because the number of events that actually happened and the quality of the events that were being organized there were actually more things being organized in terms of student life and they were better <laughs> and and um you know it's it, it it was prior to social media so like i think mcgill was the first university to have uh Facebook access because of course Facebook was you know their their initial user base was was university students right and it was Ivy League university students and then the first I think non-US school to have uh, its its students uh, be allowed as users on Facebook was McGill and uh, after that then they opened it up to like all Canadian universities and Concordia was one um, and uh yeah but basically you know this this period of like my just trying to figure out where i was that was all prior to that and um we started this organization called action so action started actually at that time like right before the whole uh social media uh sort of uh, like explosion and, okay this is at mcgill yeah. no it, it wasn't at mcgill it was actually at concordia so okay well, 
okay, technically we launched it at UCAM. So basically, basically it was to bring together all of the different- Yeah, uh, inter-university you know, affair. African and Caribbean student uh, organizations mm-hmm. across four different universities. Okay. And yeah, that's, that's basically what we did. And one thing that we did right away was we registered it as a nonprofit organization. Oh, wow. And we, yeah, like, so we were very serious about it. And that was happening throughout my whole, like, ups and downs with school and actually I did the best in school during that year when we launched it wow. uh, academically but then I ran out of money <laughs> so <laughs> so I had to go to work right so <laughs> it was it was really really crazy but between having like the idea to actually bring the community together and actually building the network um, you know and building that social capital which was a term I wouldn't have used back then but that's basically what it what it was like immense social capital, like across all of these different universities um, and actually having to get involved in the workforce, it was a blessing in, in disguise, right? Mm. Because I was able to sort of get that foot into the real world. I was thrust into the real world before I ever thought I was gonna be ready for it. Right. And ironically, that was actually the best thing you know, so I ended up developing skills that um, I wouldn't have developed if I just kind of stuck to that whole path of being in school. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So you and probably a handful of other people were the originators, the mm-hmm. creators of what does Axion stand for? Axion is African and Caribbean Synergic Interorganizational Network of Canada. So basically, uh, originally it was African and Caribbean students network of Canada. We just put IO just to make it an easy to pronounce acronym. But uh, basically over time, we ended up being way more alumni than students, right? Because, you know, after basically year year three, we're going to have more alumni than current students, right? So that's, that, that's basically what we are. We basically offer services to uh, support uh, student leaders from these different African and Caribbean uh, student organizations. We call them predominantly African diasporan student organizations because uh, there's so many different names, you know, there's, you know, African, Caribbean, Black, Haitian, Nigerian, whatever. But what we have in common is the fact that we are all uh, from the African diaspora or, uh, you know, we all have roots in, in, in the diaspora. And of course, culturally, we have a lot of commonalities right so mm-hmm. um yeah we focus on leadership and career development and that's actually what i do now full-time uh basically i've returned right before the pandemic which was my brilliant idea was <laughs> to come back and do this thing full-time because the demand was increasing so much and there was so much potential for what we were doing and we've been talking about it for years and years and years as volunteers oh, when you yeah. say do this thing what is this thing you speak of this thing, which is uh, build out the the, the NGO uh, in terms okay. of services and actually reach a, a, a broader proportion of, of the, the target market, literally, you know, the, the student and, and young professional population. Yeah, so that's what, you know, I've been doing for the past couple of years. I started, uh, uh, actually, I've been doing it consistently for the, the last 16 years, but full-time, Two, last two years. Last two right? years. Yeah. So that's that's pretty amazing still, right? So you you and a couple of a handful of other people founded this 
um, initiative, all while you were going through it. And that speaks to, <laughs> that speaks to so many people because isn't that how it usually is? We're over here creating, trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to like just get out of this pit or this hole. And usually nobody or very few people know um, the reality behind the scenes of like what's actually happening. And yet the thing, like that one thing was what kept you going, was what yeah. was fulfilling, was what kind of like, you know, excited you day after day after day. Um, so much so that you're like, yeah, I can definitely see myself doing this. But now like you created this organization and you say that it's mainly, it's more filled with alumni mm-hmm. than students currently which honestly students have a lot of resources. Um, And from my experience, Axion is definitely still on campus. And thankfully Mm -hmm. there are also a lot of other cultural groups that they can get plugged into. But Mm -hmm. alumni, listen, it's as if the moment you walk that stage, all resources, the power of the Black Panther has been stripped away. (laughs) (laughs) All resources are just like, what? You know, everything that you had access to, excuse me, as a student, suddenly nothing, huh? It's just like, wow. And if you weren't aware, you know, of the reduced fares of, I don't know, the different groups and the templates that they offer, like the networking opportunities, if you weren't aware, too bad, too sad. Because once you graduate, Mm -hmm. that's it, you know? I was very, very aware of that uh, as, a, as a student. I was like, oh, oh, oh. because like at, at some point, I think like I aged out because um, I think it was like for students, you couldn't get it if you were like over 25. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, my gosh, like I was trying to do my whole like stop start, you know, OK, I'm going to come back. I'm going to do two classes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work. And then, you know, oh, my work schedule doesn't work. So, OK, I just won't, won't be in school this semester, you know, and then at some point I just got was I got to the point where I was like, okay, you know what, forget it. If I don't get my reduced fare Metro pass, mm-hmm. like my STM, uh, carte opus, mm-hmm. you know, uh, avec la passe mensuelle, like I, it's okay. You know, like I'm, I'm just gonna, you know, grow professionally and, you know, I'll do school again when I, when I get around to it. Right. right. And um, yeah, I mean, everything drops away. Like university is an amazing, amazing uh like environment and i think one thing that people uh overlook is that like university is at its root i think the 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 latin root like universitas is like a community of learners and scholars or something like that. oh really i did not know that yeah so the root of university actually means community right it's it's wow that's beautiful yeah it's a community where people are supposed to like share knowledge and teach each other things and that's what it's supposed to be about it's not necessarily supposed to be about okay you get a bunch of letters you know after your name you know and you become a new member of the aristocracy like no that's not necessarily (laughs) the point but I think that's what a lot of um you know people kind of see it as and um you know I've heard you sort of muse aloud whether university is is quote unquote a scam or not and i don't think it is i think it's buyer beware 
And I really think it's, it is, it is, uh, it's an investment, right? And there are good investments, there are bad investments, right? And you need- You're the investment banker. You tell us, you know, you know well. Well, Well, there you go. You know, like, yeah, it's, um, it's something where you have to really just do your analysis and think, okay, like, what is my objective? What am I going to get out of this? If I want a job, then what do I need to do? Um, And realize that, of course, the degree is just like, it's a certificate of completion, but like at the end Sometimes of the day. Sometimes it doesn't mean anything, to be honest. If you didn't actually put in that work to really like learn, because it comes, it goes back to this notion of grades, right? right. A lot of people are just, just doing it for the grade, but when you're done, mm-hmm. did you, are you leaving more intelligent or are you leaving with names behind, letters behind your name after your right. name, right? But no, it, you hit the nail on the head right there in terms of just you get out of it what you put into it. But it's mm-hmm. unfortunate that it has morphed into this thing that is not accessible to everyone, right? It, because whether it's financially or, well, that's the biggest. Oh, oh, what's that face? What, what, what's that face? Uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. I, would, I would say that university has never been accessible to everyone. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Point. for most of the history of you know, universities like the university model, uh, which is the Western one that that has, you know, become global. It's been like monks, like, you know, like for half of the history, it was just basically like a bunch of monks. It was only open to men uh, and it was mostly religious, uh, you know, instruction. And those people studied, they studied arcane subjects uh, in languages that were not the vernacular. And so it's another form of church. Uh, not really. Like old school s- church back in the day. It sounds a lot like because <laughs> if we're talking about it being a community, right? And then right. it's mainly men who are leading, well, men who are going to the classes, but also men who are mm-hmm. leading the instruction. Right. They're speaking in a language that not everybody understands. So you just show up and you just accept whatever's being said. You don't have the space, time or understanding to do your own research and your own readings. I mean, back in the day, back in the day, it was like, yeah, it was it was. Yeah. I mean, it was it was monks. And then I think it was like basically like rulers, you know, like nobles. They would send their children to be educated, you know, so that they could, of course, have you know, access to whatever life uh, they, they would have expected for, mm-hmm. you know, for their legacy. And, um, and really the revolution in education has been to make it publicly accessible, mm-hmm. right? Um, We're but, failing, in my opinion, but... Oh, of course, <laughs> of course. I think there was, there's been a lot of progress, right? But then we are now starting to slide back. And actually not now, it probably started like maybe about 30 years ago. But that whole like inertia of seeing, okay, you know, I mean, education in and of itself is, it should be human right. It is a beautiful thing. Um, and that's, that's the thing. I think that's what, that's what I wanted to say earlier in the sense that we're, we're talking about university, but ultimately one of the things that I really want people to take away when they listen to these episodes is that like, you don't have to go to university to learn or to be mm-hmm. a student, right? It is, you know, the reality of our present day is that, yes, depending on the job that you're trying to do, more often than not, these days, they require some sort of like an undergrad, some sort of degree, bachelor's mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but some some people, 
a lot of people, many people, uh, I don't have a statistics for this, but there are people who have not gone to university and they've still been able to like, you know, make a name for themselves or living for themselves. But that's when you have, that's when you just, you're a student of life and you have to know kind of like, you still have access to all these books. You still have access to being able to learn whatever it is that you need. You need to have your wits about you, honestly. Mm, I 100% agree. And I think we're entering a really important time right now. I think we're really blessed uh, to be able to have access to the internet. And like when I hear of people just learning things, you know, teaching themselves things by just like watching YouTube clips and stuff, I'm like, whoa. Like I remember when YouTube was like started. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, we, of course, you know, like I had the internet, you know, starting out my, my whole university journey, but there wasn't as much free information as there is now. Yeah. What, More what accessible, have, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't as, as, accept, as accept, accessible, sorry, as mm -hmm. before. But what I would say is that um, there's way more distraction than before. Oh, child, speak on yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, and that's, I think, the major challenge and then kind of separating the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, like what is actually quality information versus what is just like fluff. Yeah, I think that's that's really the challenge. But I think the smartest academic institutions are changing with the times. They are starting to understand. I mean, they, they saw it coming. I mean, they, they study these things, right? But if there's one type of institution that takes a really long time to change, it's, you know, uh, academia right so um i would say for anybody that is entering university right now i mean look at it as literally an investment go on udemy go on edx go on coursera and see can you take the same courses can you learn the same things through these like massively online uh courses um and if so I'm not saying don't go to university, but then think of university in its more holistic sense as that community, right? So I would say the best thing you can take from university is getting involved in it as that sort of community, right? So basically, if you are able to uh, have the uh, type of experience that allows you to see different things and learn about different things and uh, meet different people, that is where you're going to learn the most that that's where you're, you're going to you're, you're going to get the best bang for your buck so to speak yes. from university right but if you just go to class and then you leave it doesn't matter if you leave with a 4.0 or a 2.4 <laughs> but oh, um you know it, it really almost doesn't matter mm -hmm. unless you're you know if you don't have anything else to sort of like be in the picture of okay i spent minimum three to four years of my life doing this thing with other people who are also ambitious and striving for greatness and you know to better themselves and and learn more in life and I didn't speak with any of them I didn't make real friendships with any of them I didn't you know build anything of consequence with them all I did was I got A's like then there's really no point in even hustling so hard to get A's unless you're an international student and it's a requirement for you to stay in your program, right? Other than that, you should just like basically just do what you can, wing it. And, um, you know, because you're not really squeezing much out of the university experience. Yeah. If you go yeah. to university just for the grades, you're, 
you're playing yourself, you're hustling backwards. There's so much more that you should be getting from university. Even if you are going to the worst university known to man, you're most likely not the only person there. So reach out to someone and talk mm. about that and see how y'all can make it better if you want to, or how you can get the best out of it. Beyond university, so you mentioned having to stop your classes because the money ran out and so you had to, you were forced into the um, workforce mm -hmm. and had to navigate that and just realize, you know, the ambitions that you had or the academic ambitions that you had would were on hold, um, mm -hmm. I guess, indefinitely. But the beautiful thing, you know, that, you know that's the other thing, eh? School will always be there. The truth yeah. will always be there. Yeah. If you're so gung-ho on like, oh my goodness, you know, I, I, you feel as if this, you, you are incomplete unless you have some sort of degree, mm -hmm. like you, you, you can go back, you can make that plan, figure it out. It is there. And in this day and age, you can even do it online, you know, there you go. um, but what was it like for you navigating life post-grad, Dwight? Specifically, what are some fears that came up that you were just like, so the school thing didn't work out. Now I'm making money, but I don't know about all this. As apparently I'm grown, but like. <laughs> pleasing my parents was, or not pleasing my parents. That was what I was really uh, scared of, you know, because like the pressure to finish was just like so, so, so high. My parents are like, okay, you know, finish, finish, finish. You know, we're, we're paying for this. We're paying for that, blah, 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 blah. Hurry up and finish so we can get a job, <laughs> right? And then, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, there shouldn't have just been, there shouldn't have been like any pressure at all. I should have just been just exploring whatever it was that I needed to do. And then, you know, if they weren't able to pay, you know, I should have just gotten a job instead of taking a loan because <laughs> I ended up having to pay anyway. And it was, I paid more. I overpaid for, for my education by like, you know, whatever education I got, you know, because I didn't even get the degree that I wanted at the end of it. Like, um, I, I can't even say it's the end, but, you know, yeah, like I, I, I would have just been like, you know, just focus on discovering what it is that that really you're passionate about. And I ended up doing it. I made all the mistakes, you know, that you could almost all the mistakes you could possibly make on that journey. But at the end of the day, the only thing I regret is not listening to myself earlier. Mm. It actually got better. Like after I had, I, I basically just kind of dropped all sort of you know pretense uh mm. to, towards like okay i'm gonna like do you know this I'm, I'm gonna you know i'm gonna like get this grade i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that like it's crazy like i actually met one of my professors on the way to work once and like he was just like you know living his best life like he's just out and about and and like I was so surprised to see him in this unfamiliar place and but it just so happened that he happened to be we were taking the bus mm -hmm. <laughs> we we're taking the bus together and then I told him like where I was going and you know to work and he's like oh okay you know and he was telling me about you know like just some other projects that he's working on you know on the side and everything you know and like just something about that that encounter just made me think like okay you know what like it's crazy like outside of the university 
it's it i'm just meeting this dude and he's like just you know cool dude and we're just chatting and then inside the university people. yeah they're just regular people but yeah. like i should mention that like one thing that did color my experience with education early on was really uh just like a creeping discrimination that i didn't really identify as what it was until later like mm -hmm. much much later and it's like oh that's actually what was happening right so what was uh, happening it, yeah just in terms of um you know not having great experiences with uh like different advisors uh like academic advisors or, mm -hmm. or different teachers or like you know and, and it was crazy and i basically grew up as like a teacher's pet until basically like high school and then it was like the opposite it was like I was persona non grata and interesting what changed in your opinion um I mean a, a, a bunch of things changed I mean I you know basically became a young man right so you know when, when suddenly you're, you're dangerous exactly there you go and um I mean I I, I the school that I went to is like a k-12 school right so um you know there's some teachers that actually had again but like maybe three, four, five years later, and it was like completely different, like how I was treated. And I couldn't understand it. You know, I was like, oh, like, did I not do my homework or something? <laughs> like, you know, and it was crazy. It was like, even when I did, it was like, they would grudgingly accept that I was like one of the best students. And I was like, what? <laughs> These are and all types of teachers or are they... Oh, I mean, I didn't have, uh, I wasn't lucky enough to actually have, uh, I, I think, any Black teachers growing up. That's also the um, thing. I, I want people to yeah. think about how many Black teachers, how many Black educators have you had in your life? Like, specifically for Black, actually, anyone can do this. Mm -hmm. I really want people to, act, to think about it, because I've thought about it before. I was also raised in the States um, for mm -hmm. a good chunk of time. And thankfully, I'm coming from the South. And um, I actually had a significant amount of black teachers. It's not until I went into, I guess, higher education. So like mm -hmm. post-secondary that I don't think I had a single black professor. But at elementary school, one of the elementary schools that I went to was actually predominantly black students mm -hmm. and teachers and everything. It was great. It was lit. It really felt <laughs> like, and this is black American and I'm, <clears throat> At the time, Black Americans and Africans were not, they did not sit together. <laughs> no, Basically. they're not listening to no Afrobeats. No. Not, yes. It they, was, they were like, y'all just listened to that over there in them huts and it was terrible. It was, people you know, like, yeah, whack scratchers and yeah, everybody's scratcher. Yep. <laughs> so it was Crazy. not, we were not on friendly terms. Um, and yet, at this school, you know, it was, it was, it felt like home. It felt like community. Um, mm -hmm. Even the white teachers were down, <laughs> mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I can only imagine what it was like for you going from, you know, this like cute little boy to now you're this teenager who not much has changed except, you know, your age and whatever happens at puberty, but suddenly yeah. you looked at differently. Yeah, it was, it was, it was very, very weird. And actually I had a similar experience, uh, Josie, um, where actually I went to a school, basically like my whole experience with education has just been okay. Like what school can fit 
for Dwight because <laughs> like I went to a school that actually was in in my neighborhood in Brooklyn and it's a uh, shout out to, to Flatbush I will say you know shout out Flatbush mm-hmm. uh, and um, basically it was almost entirely black like there was I think maybe like one white kid one uh like latino boy was there Mm -hmm. um and it was almost all uh people of african descent and most of them were actually caribbean uh Mm. like myself but actually had a few teachers that i think there was one who was nigerian there was there were some Ghanaians, you know around uh and and this was i think up until like an early age and then basically like I was, I was supposed to go into like some advanced uh, classes and then basically, um, you know, I kind of like outgrew what was, it, what, what I could do there. And then the idea was, okay, let's put Dwight in a public school. And that didn't work. <laughs> and then they were like, okay, let's find some other school. So I ended up going to this other school, this like alternative school that I mentioned. Um, and there it was like the complete opposite. And it was, I was like one of two black kids in my class. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, three. Yeah. We were three. We were three. And, uh, and um, like in my entire grade, there were, I think four of us. Oh no, no. Actually there were three of us for a few years until they had the special program for uh, kids to get into like elite prep schools and we got three more black kids from that program. And then all, all seven of us of the black kids in the high school, there were about like 80 of us actually. It was a small school, but there were just seven of us. So it was really, really like very, very, um, very, very isolating. Uh, and, you know, going to a school with like predominantly non-black kids let's say and then going back to your neighborhood and then like it's you know it's the state like segregated right and it's like it's all black everything all day every day like before gentrification like you could go you could walk several blocks and not see a single person who is not like african or caribbean right so so and then going to school and then like seeing the opposite it was just just very very strange man i'm sure that block smelled good like around dinner time i can only imagine (laughs) it definitely did but yeah you know going back to the whole thing about the teachers like you know it was it was great and then after a certain point like we were just kind of seen as like perpetual delinquents and whatever and you know we did the whole sat thing and like, even if there were no formal evaluations, like at the school level, we still had to do the standardized tests. Right. So those know, are national. Those are national. So yeah, I was very happy, you know, just to, as I was kind of like saved by that because like I was, you know, killing it on those. And there were people like literally who were like administrators and people of authority in the school who were like, yeah, this guy, you know, he's not, he's, 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 he's not a really great, um, you know student he's like you know whatever like people were saying that about you oh of course yeah 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 Thank goodness. yeah 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 i mean it, it it happens you know but like what that really taught me and it, it was actually traumatizing because as a kid you just don't know you like start to believe it like oh well yeah. Yeah. Is, is something wrong with me am i really like that bad and then 
I mean, there were like, we came in, I mentioned there were seven of us black kids. We ended up graduating as six because one of us, one of them got kicked out for very, very stupid reasons. Um, so basically it was like Squid Game, you know? It was like, like literally my whole sort of parcours uh, it really just looks like Squid Game. Like that's why to this day, I can't even watch the rest of the show because oh, it reminds me too much of my actual life, you know? like there's just so much stuff that happens that's just not fair and you just try to make your own way and you just deal with it um you're, you're over here trying to get an education but you're also fighting for your life um, yeah. yeah just 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 to just to be just to be but thankfully you've actually come such a long way from there i'm sure a lot of the things that happened there cemented um kind of like your character help make you who you are for the better or for the worse. Um, Cause you know, sometimes even the, sometimes the bad stuff slips, slips through, you know, mm-hmm. whether we realize it or not. And it's not until you get maybe like professional help or somebody else who like cares for you calls it out. And it's just like, I've noticed this thing. And you're like, I wonder where that come from. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That. Wow. But you're living your life. You're thriving. I would say. No, I don't know about thriving, but I mean, you know, I, listen. I feel like um, <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm in I'm in a uh, I'm I'm thriving in terms of like living in my purpose. You know, like yeah. I, I really know. Dwight, do you know how amazing that is? I I guess it's amazing. I feel no, it. No, you know, no, don't guess. Once, once it's we amazing. Get some more, some more, some more grants, <laughs> some more funding. Uh, you know, I'll I'll feel a little bit more amazing. But <laughs> but, but we I, all, if we all had a little bit more stacked. We'd all feel great, but yeah. <laughs> like even the fact that you are, you know what your purpose is, because yeah. you know so many people are just lost, looking for that, trying to figure that out, trying to really cement that. But not only knowing, you're actually you're working at it, you're living in it, you're helping others figure out theirs and navigate that. That's a huge blessing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It really yeah, is. It is. And that's why I say you're thriving because there are lots of different ways to thrive, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To wrap it up, I've got just one last question that hopefully can help somebody out there who would also like to be thriving mm-hmm. as, as they ask themselves the hard questions. Um, what's one tangible way like to be courageous and audacious in spite of fear? that you can share with the audience? Because we know we're going to get scared. You're going to be mm-hmm. shaking in your boots. You're going to wake up at, in the middle of the night with sweat just rolling down your neck on your pillow. You're gonna, your heart's going to skip a beat. Like, it, it, it will happen. But how have you been able to kind of, like, face that and move forward? Still you rise, like Maya Angelou says. Oh, that's, that's a, that's an amazing question. And I think, uh, I mean, there's just so many, so many different things. Like, uh, like what I realized is that just everything that, you know, all the challenges that I've had, I mean, I'm kind of just used to ducking and dodging all the time, mm-hmm. like all the time, just like constant problem solving is just, it's just what I do. You know, that's just, that's just life uh, for, for me. And, and, part of that I mean I really have to credit you know the way I was brought up as well like definitely my mom is is very much uh somebody who's just used to doing that 
um, and um, you know, like I, I was really blessed, you know, despite some of the negative experiences that I did have in terms of my educational environment growing up, I think it really did give me so many tools, like just the way that I learned was literally just project-based learning, right? So um, even if, you know, I had so much trouble just adjusting to the university environment and like having grades and like being evaluated on stuff that was just like, for me, just seemed like, like, what is this, this BS, you know? Like it really trained me way better for real life. <laughs> so yeah, getting into like building things and, and building projects. So what I would say is like, in terms of dealing with fear, I think a lot of it is, I know it sounds maybe, it, it, it can sound sort of insensitive, but really realizing that a lot of fear is just based on perspective. And, mm-hmm. you know, like if if a freight train is, is passing by in the distance, you're like, oh, it's a train. But if it's passing you by and it's like centimeters from your nose, then yeah, maybe it's something to be afraid of, right? Um, so I think from a certain perspective, I think being able to distance yourself from what's happening, uh, not so much that you like dissociate yourself mentally, but you know, you get perspective either by speaking with different people or you can even think of yourself like, okay, 10 years from now, is this what I want to be defining my life? Like if, if, if I'm thinking myself, you know, to be in 2031 instead of 2021, like, what, like, what, what do I want to say 10 years from now about this period in my life? Do I want to say that I just bent to whatever thing happened to be annoying me at the moment? Or do I want to say that, you know, I found a different way, right? So I think that for me, that that's really been helpful. Yeah, you know, and like realizing, you know, we do have a lot of first world problems sometimes. Like, seriously, like there's people who, I mean, you know, there's there's people who are are like dealing with COVID and they have no way of of sort of overcoming that right uh, right now. Like in different parts of the world, there's people who, um, you know, are, are like who who have way bigger challenges than we have. So, I think. You know, being grateful for what we have is is very, very important. I don't know if you've probably heard this a million times in different ways. You know, being grateful, you know, gratitude is is important. Um, but then also, like, if you're just in the moment, just like for that anxiety, I think really breaking things down into steps is very important. Just mm-hmm. realizing that. I think I read this article, you know, talking about people who had to, like, deal with the, the nuclear meltdown in Chernobyl. Uh, and I, I'm not sure if you you know you're familiar with that that incident. Um, not too well. Okay, but of it, know, but not too well. Not the details. Right. I think it's actually in the Ukraine, uh, Chernobyl. But uh, uh, basically, you know, it's just like a place where, um, like, there was nuclear fallout. Everything was radioactive, and they had to like find a way to like shut things down before they ended up becoming much worse or like save different things so like i read an article from like one guy who was tasked to actually go into that situation and he basically planned like everything that he did down to like the second 
He's like, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna do this. If this happens, then I'm gonna do that. And he really like to get himself through the fear of going into a situation where he was potentially going to be scarred for life or like exposed to carcinogenic, you know, uh, circumstances, you know, that would either end his life or shorten it. Uh, like he really just tried to break it down and just focus on one thing at a time and just do that one thing with his whole mind and just, you know, really focus on that and not think about anything else. And that he basically like pep talked himself through every second of that, uh, that, that mission that he had. And I was, and I was, I sort of recognized that when I read that, I sort of recognized some of the things that I'd been doing just, you know, through just, just trying to come up, you know, through trial and error with my own ways to sort of get through things. And, um, you know, like that moment when, like I got home and I didn't know if I was going to be able to actually like <laughs> sleep on my bed because I couldn't get in there. Like, what was I going to do next? I was going to do this. I was going to do that, blah, blah, blah. Right. So um, I think really breaking it down. And the beautiful thing, thing about life is that there's always something that you can do. There's almost always something that you can do, like almost always. And I mean, I am a person of faith as well. So uh usually you know I, I i do pray about it and and um i will somehow find a solution um you know or the solution will somehow come mm -hmm. and and i think that everybody can can do that you know whether they're you know spiritual person of faith or not um i think you know shifting your perspective really does help uh, and uh, really just breaking things down because Every challenge is is insurmountable. In you know if if you if, if it's big enough, right? Wait, but is insurmountable yeah. or is surmountable? Yeah, every every challenge is insurmountable if it's really big. But then it becomes surmountable when you break it down, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. and yeah, it could be a school project. It could be you know, a challenge that you have at work, it could be something going in your personal life. life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's just so many different things, but really just break it down, try to take that first step. And then you build confidence, you know, from all of those micro steps that you take, you're like, Oh, well, I did that. So maybe I can do the next one. And then maybe the next one, and then maybe the next one. And you sort of, you know, bootstrap yourself into a, a chain reaction of, of self confidence that allows you to Pretty much overcome anything right so um you know life is not fair it's it's mean it's it's tough and i think just realizing that and just realizing hey you know you, you gotta play the cards that you're dealt um and realizing almost anybody who can watch this probably or who has been through university has way more cards than like pretty much 90 percent of the human population um you know, that, that is an important perspective to, you know, the truth of that perspective is very important to recognize at all times. Yeah. So what I got from that is one, get perspective, um, no matter where you find yourself, recognize that, you know, we all have privileges. It's not to say, you mentioned first world problems. And for me, I recognize that, like, we like to say that, but it's not to invalidate anybody's problems or feelings. It's like, you can completely 
it's completely valid. But to recognize the privileges that you have and to acknowledge that, you know, you are further because of X, Y, and Z, that's a fact <laughs> of mm-hmm. the world that we live in, right? Get yourself some perspective and then break things down, break them down step by step, every single task, break it down to the simplest, what is it? Oh my goodness, they either read about this or watched a video on this, but people like Elon Musk and Bill Gates, they have this thing and, you know, the likes of them all and probably engineers as well. This is an engineering term though, actually. First steps, I think that's what it's called, where you just basically go to the foundational principles of whatever the task is or whatever the idea is and break it down to Mm -hmm. its origin and then take it from there. And hopefully, hopefully that helps because like you said, before you know it, you've actually done it. And you're like, oh my goodness, I can do hard things. Yeah, it's like if you you want to become like you you want to run marathons. I mean, you don't start by running a marathon. You start by running to the corner, like you know. And then you know if you're out of breath from doing that, then you know you you establish your limit, and then you just keep going, right? So, um, you know that's why I think athletes are inspirational, and also you know people who are involved in sports. They kind of have almost like this sort of inbuilt advantage over people who don't because in terms of the mental capacity their mental capacity right like the fusion of the mental overcoming the physical with the mental uh discipline it takes to actually do that it actually allows you to overcome a lot of other challenges that are not only physical right so um yeah i I think that's 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 just just important to mention but yeah uh, no, that's a really good point. And on that note, we're going to wrap it up. That brings us to the mm-hmm. end of this episode. My voice is giving out on me. <laughs> it's so good. It's the season. <laughs> Listen, I am on the recovering end, the recovering end of Omarion, thankfully. And hopefully <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to catch hands again because I, oof, I did not. I'd rather not. I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Dwight, so much for coming on and just sharing a bit of your story. And I hope to talk to you soon. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. And now it's time for new words of wisdom from my mom. Get us together, Agatha. Si tu dors, ta vie dors. Listen, I'm all for chopping life, okay? Chop life, don't let life chop you, right? Grab life by the neck, hold on tight, and fill your days with stories you can one day tell your grandkids or your neighbors or even just fill books with. Just choose life today. Truly carpe diem. That's a wrap on this episode. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you find ways to exercise courage this week. Don't forget to leave a rating and review the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You may just be the lucky winner for the week. Simply take a picture of your review and send it to me via DMs or to my email. While you're at it, follow the podcast on Instagram at fillingthevoidpod. The conversation continues there. If you got this far, share the episode with one person who's not sleeping through life, but seizing each day. Let them know we're filling the void with Josie. Have a good one, (laughs) y'all.